Hey, James, can you help me bring the new couch in? Oh, it's here. Cool. Exciting. All right. All right, lift with your legs. Yep. One, two, three, lift. Oh, okay, okay, pivot. Up yep, set, yep. Set. Watch the door frame. Oh, yeah, yep. Yep, yep. All right, oh, all right, and, and drop. Okay, okay. drop. Oh. oh, God. There we oh, go. Gosh. Isn't it great? Yeah, I mean, there's like a couple of stains over on that bit, but... Yeah, well, it's secondhand and it gives it a bit of character. Hey, where are the legs? Oh, I got a really good deal on getting a legless one. But we would be, like, sat basically on the ground. Look how low I get when no, I... No, 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 don't, don't sit on it. it. It folds in half if you sit on it. So you bought a couch that we can't sit on. It was so cheap, James. <laughs> how much was it? I traded in my Legion Loyalist for it. That one mum with haste from a couple of episodes ago. Well, I just found one on Ikea on my phone. It's exactly the same size. It has legs. No stains. We can pick it up today. Oh, how, how much is it? Probably like a mana crypt, steam vents, mana drain, and a first a first sphere gargantua. What's the gargantua for? That that card sucks. Oh no, that's from me to you, so you can build it for me. Throw in that white bordered rampant growth, and you've got yourself a deer. <laughs> Done. <laughs> You love the whiteboarded cards. I, I think I, I could get you to do pretty much anything I wanted to if I had enough whiteboarded rampant growths and forests. You're not wrong. I could I could get you to assemble every piece of IKEA furniture we've ever bought, I which just, is a lot. They're so they I don't know. They're just they're, it's such a special place in my sentimental. Heart yeah, I, I appreciate yeah, that. It's for a time that I remember. Well, welcome to the Get Commanded podcast by the Greensboro Commander Community. It's the GCP by the GCC and. POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. We're all uniting forces to help you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I'm your other host, James. Now, before we get to the inevitable spooky transmission from the Space Commanders, I would like to remind our audience again that if they enjoy what we do and enjoy the content we create, the best way to support us directly is by signing up to our Patreon. It's amazing now. We've got some really, really cool stuff uh, as rewards for being uh, our patrons. Like, we can even look at your decks and help you edit them and make them mm. better. Uh, guaranteed games with us over spell table or in person. There's some cool stuff. So you can check it out on patreon.com slash getcommandedpodcast. Yes, it's the absolute best way to support the things that we make and uh, get more amazing content out to you. Uh, but we do have an incoming transmission from the deep depths of the galaxy from the Space Commanders. It's time to get commanded. The template you developed for building a Commander deck previously spanned three long broadcasts and contained highly detailed discussion. In the interest of posterity, condense your template such that a new resource is constructed, one that Commander players may refer to more easily. Alright, so one episode to go through... 
three episodes of content that it we had. It was like six hours, I think, or six and a half hours it by the time very we detailed. tallied them all up. So this was 14, 15, and 16 Correct, of the podcast. Yeah. Episodes 14, 15, 16 are the ultimate guide to deck building, if you've ever... Uh, listened to us back then. It's been a while now. It's about 20 episodes ago. Yeah, but I think I agree with the Space Commanders. It's a very, like, detailed look at deck building. We talked about everything. So I reckon this episode is going to be our finite guide Mm. for deck building. And I think this episode is going to be amazing for brand new Commander players because this will be yes. like one episode. It'll If you're a new Commander player and if your friend has sent you to us as the Get Commanded podcast, welcome. Lovely to have you here. Mm. Join the party. But this episode, we are going to try and give you everything you need to know about deck building in one short, sharp episode. Yeah, this is sort of the kind of one that you can probably have on in the background while you're literally making the deck. Yeah. You know? Your little prompts to remind you like, oh, that's right. I need to be able to draw cards. That's yes. important to have in my commander. Which, by the way, now that we're saying that, that card that you just sleeved up, I'd take that card out. Yeah. Um, I think it's doesn't work with this deck. It's not quite there. You, no. I like the idea. It's a good thought. It's basic very island. Close. It's yeah. <laughs> Cut. That's it. Cut all yeah. basic islands from your decks. James told you. I'm holding you to that from now on. Um, look, we, <laughs> we collectively, James and I, own about 30 Commander decks at this point. It's got to be around that With number. more on the way. Like, yes. I'm, I'm currently in the process of building one more. You're disassembling and rebuilding I'm a couple. I'm staying mostly at my sort of roughly 15 yeah. mark. Uh, but look, we, we have built 95% of the, those decks ourselves right yeah 100% we have I I own one pre-con I think you own a couple of pre-cons I own own a couple of pre-cons but like I wouldn't count them towards like my commander decks like I I, I've edited a couple of pre-cons we actually did an episode on upgrading pre-cons a while ago but the ones that I've built it's been yeah pretty much me and it's you know my idea from start to finish Mm. so we've we've done it a lot of times we have and like this is just a guide and the the sort of um, philosophy we, we were imparting during that big long three episode um ultimate guide was that the the numbers are a starting point basically yes. and so you should you should learn to master the rules and these are kind of the rules as we're going to outline mm. in this episode uh, and once you master the rules then you have the knowledge and the ability to move away from them if you'd like to and you we'll can... talk about that we'll talk yeah. about when or, or some examples we'll even give some examples of our own decks that you can you can see where we've broken the rules of our template yeah but this is really going to be like the one-stop shop of understanding how to get the foundations of a good deck functioning mm. and then tweaking it over time is a whole nother thing but yeah i did want to call out some things that i don't think are necessary for this episode sure. that i think we can skip over um but if you want to go back to our old deck by building template you can have a listen uh, to the specific episodes to find out these tips yep um so the first thing i think we'll gloss over and skip is choosing your commander yeah that was a big part of episode one of that yeah. of that three part one so that was episode 14 correct um ultimate guard deck building part one yeah that was all about yeah basically how you would even pick one in the first yeah. place do you so, choose the strategy first or do you choose the commander first yeah well, answering those kind so of we're questions. assuming if you're coming to this episode you probably know which commander you're going to build if not pause us and come back to us later all right, well, now you're back and you're back off uh, EDH Rec. Welcome back. Um, <laughs> no, but the, I think there's a couple of other things as well. Sure. Shooters, I think, are kind of like one of those high-level magic things that really mm. increase synergy and stuff in your deck. And yep. we're looking at a foundation template here. So tutors, 
if you want to go listen to part three, which is episode 16, we talk about that more in detail there. We do. And also, it's something we've said a couple of times recently, tutors inherently make your decks stronger. So for most of us, most of the time when we're building decks, because we play with um, a lot of casual players and a lot of new players, mm. we actually tend to leave tutors out of our decks. So the reason yeah. we're skipping it is basically that you don't need to have them. They will make your deck better, but you don't always have to have them to make your deck better. Correct. And I think one thing that would just take up way too much time if we talked about it is play testing and upgrades. We've talked about this in multiple episodes, specifically part three, so episode 16 um, of the Ultimate Deck Building Guide, but we've also talked about it in the Great Freeze episode, which yep. we just released recently. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this a bunch, and it's really a, a sphere of its own outside of deck building. This is getting, again, those foundations, those those structural walls, the, mm. the pillars that you're going to then build your deck around. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of, I reckon we should just jump straight in to the template of what you recommend. So yeah. most of this is going to be um, numbers, basically, of how many of each type of card we recommend in your strategy to make your deck work. Uh, so when we recommend these numbers, I think it's worth, before we even get to any of them, mm. it's worth noting that we, myself and James, when we're counting things in these slots, so for instance, card draw, right? It's something that all decks have to have. If our number we're going for, and spoiler, this one is 10. If we're going for 10 <laughs> bits of card draw, often James and I will count cards that kind of get us towards drawing cards or draw us cards in a way that's not like explicitly drawing cards, like Faithless Looting, for instance. Yeah, this is, draws example. you two cards, discards two cards. So you don't actually end up with more cards in your hand. Commonly you referred before. to as digging. Yeah. yeah. So unless you filter through the deck, it's still a great card. But when you're counting card draw, we would sort of count this as like half of a card draw spell. So yeah. we're not saying you need to get exactly 10 cards that draw you cards. We're saying like sometimes that Faithless Looting might be that 11th card. Mm. And maybe you've got like three or four cards that are like half a slot for your 10 that you're aiming for. Yeah. I think it's also worth noting before we get into each specific category and give the numbers to it, you might go through this whole episode and go, hang on, these numbers don't line up. Mm. They don't have to because some cards sit in multiple categories. Yeah. If you... It's really worth noting that it's a, so one card might draw your card, but it also might be removal. It also might be ramp, yeah. but it could also be like something that your deck wants to do. It can sit in multiple categories. And actually that's what we want as exactly. well. Because if you, yeah, like you say, if, you, if we tallied up all of these numbers we're about to give you, we're going to end up with over a hundred cards. And it's because, yeah, yeah. we're going to be able to find stuff that's going to fit in multiple camps. And that's exactly what you want. Those are some of the best cards in your deck. Yeah. That's what we call synergy. Synergy. And we love yeah. that. All right, so the Get Commanded template sure. starts here. Let's do it. We should probably go through what we've referred to in multiple other episodes as our essentials. Yes. So there's like a specific set of these numbers that we call essentials, and we believe these are essentials because every single Commander deck is going to need these to work yeah. well. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard Command Zone recently refer to similar stuff to this as eating your veggies. It's, yeah, it's the boring stuff, but yeah. you've got to put it in your But deck. you've got to eat yeah. your veggies if you're going to grow big and strong yes, uh, as a commander player. So, uh, right off the bat, this might be the most important one, to And the most honest. fun to me. It's card draw. Hell yeah. I, best part about commander is when you're like, right, I'm going to draw 20 cards. Yes. Now I have every opportunity I have, every choice in my deck mm. to respond in the right situation. I'm now able to answer the threat. I'm now able to win the game. Like, drawing cards allows you to fuel the end of the game. 
game. That's the best thing about drawing cards, I think, is it gives you multiple options. Like, you can play a deck, and if you're not drawing enough cards, you don't even get to see the deck perform as it should, because you don't have all the options available to you that you otherwise would have by drawing mm. more cards. So, when we say card draw, by the way, um, we're not talking about cards like Expedite, or cards like Sublime Epiphany. Oh, that have, like, do a thing, draw a card. Yes, those yeah. cards are great, because they do replace themselves in your hand, but this is not what we're talking about when we say card draw. Generally speaking, when we say we're looking at 10 bits of card draw in our deck, we're saying card draw is ways to give you access to more cards than you otherwise would if you just untap, upkeep, draw a card every Correct. turn. Yeah. So most of the time, these are going to be cards that just say, you know, draw three cards on them or something like that. Harmonize is a great card. Harmonize is a great card. But sometimes they're, they're going to look a little bit different, like in red... Um, we're often going to have cards that say things like exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them until mm. the end of your next turn. This is still giving us access to more cards, even if it's not putting them directly into our hand. Yeah. And in some situations, even some decks that like play from the graveyard really consistently, mm. that's card advantage. So there's like, I even tag my cards. If you look at my Moxfield lists that are tagged in the, um, the show notes at the bottom of this episode, you can go onto my deck list and I actually tag some card draw as card advantage because it might not be putting it into my hand might be putting it into exile for me to cast but yeah it's still giving me access to more than i usually would yeah i actually i don't do exactly the same thing as this but i have a similar thing where when i'm building a graveyard deck i will tr i will still track cards that draw me cards like i still have mm. eight or nine bits of card draw but then i'll have a separate like mill tag and so i sort of am tallying up the mill as almost being like half of a card yeah kind of as half yeah so some of my graveyard decks have like seven or eight bits of actual card draw in them but then like 20 ways to mill and so collectively i'm still seeing a lot of cards and a lot of options that are available to me i think there's also something key to note here there's lots of different ways in commander that you can draw cards so mm. there's there's ways like we just mentioned before like harmonize for example is just a sorcery spell that says draw three cards mm. now this is what we would refer to as burst card draw yeah this is where you draw a lot of cards all in one go and it's usually because of resolving one card like yeah. one spell so something like like harmonize is a really good example but even like a creature like muldrifter that yep. enters the battlefield and draws you two cards obviously in strategies where you're going to be able to get that ha to happen multiple times like if you're making the creature exile and come back to the battlefield or if you're bringing it back from the graveyard this is going to draw yep. you more cards over the course of a game but the most important thing is it just says draw this many cards on, yeah. on the card I mean a great big big one would be like pull from tomorrow where you draw yeah. X cards where you can pay any amount of money you need to yeah. draw as many cards as you, you can need. draw one card if you want you can draw 10 you can draw 100 it's, it's up to you it really scales with the game but yeah. th so there's burst card draw which we actually recommend to think about as really important because in situations mm. you'll be like I need to find an answer or I need to res respond to what my opponent's doing. So you need to dig through your deck to find an answer. And if you can just go, right, draw five cards, maybe there'll be a, a, like a, some kind of resolution or response to what's happening on the opponent's board mm. in those five cards. Yes. But there are a couple of other ways you can draw cards too. For example, triggered card draw is really, really strong. So this is sort of like the, the cards, often creatures that say, whenever you do this action, draw a card. Like yeah. uh, Archmage Emeritus, for yeah. instance. If you're playing a spellsy kind of deck, this says whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. So every single instant sorcery spell in your hand now is replacing itself and letting you cast more and more and more of them. And this can draw you sometimes a similar number of cards as that burst card draw spell that yeah. you otherwise would have cast. Well, like Beast Whisperer in my elf deck is so strong because it says whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. Mm. So usually elves are like one, two, maybe three 
three mana. Yeah. You go, all right, I cast an elf to draw a card. Oh, look, it's an elf. I'll cast another mm. elf to draw a card. And sometimes these elves tap for mana. So on the next turn, you're like, all right, now I'm going to tap five of my elves, cast a big creature. Draw a card. Yeah, like, they get out of hand really, really quickly. Yeah. There's similar ones for enchantments, like Satess and Champion. There's a, a load of effects like this in enchantments specifically. Let's say when you cast an enchantment, draw a card. Um, the, the, the thing to keep in mind about these is they are really, really strong if your deck is made around them. They're Correct. sort of a deck building restriction. And also, importantly, um, if someone removes that before you've got to take that action that's going to draw you cards, you haven't drawn any cards off it. So yeah. it's it's just a little bit more temperamental than the burst card draw that just tends to resolve and get you the cards mm. immediately. So I, I think I remember we, when we did our full template, we said most of your card draws should be that burst stuff. Still play the triggered stuff, but most of it should probably be burst, right? Yeah, and you could also even run passive card draw. Cards like Phyrexian Arena is mm. just an enchantment that says at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose a life and draw a card. Slowly but surely, one extra card a turn is going to yield some benefit. It adds up. It yeah. definitely adds up over the course of a game. So what is our like definitive number on card draw for our template? I think our number is 10. I think... I uh, it's explicitly saying in the script here, 10 plus. Yeah, I would agree that their plus symbol is relevant here. I think I tend to... I had a look at some of my decks because I, I, I sneakily read the transmission in advance. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm glad that uh, at least one of us does. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had a look at some of my decks and I'm actually averaging, especially my more recent decks that I've built, I'm averaging closer to that 15 mark. And honestly, I'm finding it great. The, the important thing about card draw is like, it's never a dead card in your hand. If you have nothing no, else to do true. and one card draw spell in your hand, you just draw some cards and find more things to do it's 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 so good i agree i would probably say i'm over 10 in my decks as well yeah. so i reckon 10 is a good starting point but you know then you can tinker with it see if you need more yeah absolutely all right what's great. the next get commanded essential i think it's got to be ramp yeah um, for sure ramp is super super important so this is ramp for those who, who do, may not know is ways of giving you access to more mana than you would have if you just played a ra uh, land on every single one of your turns. So, mm. you know, if you just play a land on every single one of your turns, on turn one you have one mana, on turn two you have two mana, etc. It just scales with the game, right? Yep. If you use ramp, you tend to have more mana on subsequent turns than you otherwise would. So if you're playing um, like a rampant growth, which we mentioned at the, the very start of the episode. It has to be white-boarded. It has to be white-boarded <laughs> if you're going to play rampant growth. Um, you are going to go get a land out of your library and put onto the battlefield. And when you untap that next turn, if you play your land, let's say you play rampant growth on turn two. Yep. On turn three, when you untap and play a land, you have four mana instead of three. So you've unlocked sort of more mana for the rest of the game. Yeah, now. it is accelerated you ahead now we recommend like more permanent ways of ramping especially yes. if you are in green you've got a ton of cards like rampant growth like kadama's reach like mm. cultivate like far seek three visits three visits nature's law there's so many of them these days all of these pull basic lands or lands out of your library put them onto the battlefield but we even recommend if you're not in green to look at more permanent ways of ramping like Arcane Signet, Fowler Stone, um, Mind Stone, uh, Chromatic Lantern, yeah. Gilded, whatever, all these mana rocks, yes. which we love. They're artifacts that usually tap for a number of mana. Mm. Soul Ring is a ramp spell that yes. comes in every pre-constructed commander deck. That one is particularly good <laughs> it's for very those strong. who are not so well aware. Um, yeah, we, we definitely recommend these over those less permanent forms of ramp. So like cards like Mana Geyser or even Dockside Extortionist. So Dockside Extortionist makes a bunch of treasures. So on your next turn, you have 
got more mana than you otherwise would have, or even on that turn you can. But once that treasure is gone, it's gone for good. Right? Yeah, and so, Mana Geyser produces red mana in your mana pool, but once you use it, it's gone. Yes. Yeah. And they're still really, really good cards. We're not saying don't play them, but in general, when you're looking at ramp in your deck, we, we, we still count them as ramp, but like with the card draw, where we prefer the burst card draw, in ramp, we prefer permanent sources of ramp, or semi-permanent, because artifacts do get removed sometimes. But look, most of the time, people aren't touching your mana rocks. Yeah. And there is another way of ramping with cost reducers mm. as well. Like the medallions are a good example of this. They need to be reprinted really badly. They're very expensive right now. But yeah, like Sapphire Medallion mm. makes your blue spells cost one less. It's... Emerald Medallion makes green spells cost one less. Yeah, when you're in a monocolor deck, these are, these cards are amazing. Exactly. And then you can go with other kind of cost reducers as well. Like there's Joyra's Familiar, for example, which makes historic spells cost one yeah. generic mana less. Mostly you're doing this for artifacts. But yeah, yeah you could reduce legendaries as well. Um, in my wizard deck i have wizards of thay uh this is a card that makes instant sorceries cost one less it also has myriad so when you oh, attack cool. it tends to reduce them even more it's a it's a That's cool card cool. but like yeah because my deck is so full of spells and i want to make them as cheap as i possibly can like the, the cost reducers become really good so similar to the actually the the triggered card draw we were talking about where we said you know you've got to make sure your deck is kind of built around it the cost reducers are the same you want to make sure that whatever you're reducing mm, the cost of yes. is something you have lots of in your deck like there's no point playing a Jorah's familiar in your deck if you don't have many artifacts and you don't have many legendary things because you're not really going to get that reduction very often it's not really like ramp if you're not getting a reduction on the yeah. deck that you want and over time if you play enough of these cost reducers and they stick around for long enough it can usually yield you so much more mana benefit than like a mana Rock, Absolutely. The, really the upside strong. is enormous. Yeah. Something else that I really want to make sure that we go through is how much mana you should be spending on ramp. Mm. Um, this is something that we we hated on the mana liths yeah. in the last time we talked about this. Now, mana lith is a card that's basically three generic mana for an artifact that taps for one mana of any color. So it does, does ramp you. you it's absolutely ramp. Yeah. You, you play it on turn three. On turn four, you untap player lands. Now you have five mana available to you. Mm -hmm. However... We've got a bit of a sweeping general rule here at Get Commanded where yep. we say you should be yielding half as much mana as you put into the spell that's ramping you. So, yep. for example, if you spend two mana on an Arcane Signet, you get one mana back, yes. which is really good. Like, yeah. you play it on turn two, on turn four... Uh, sorry, on turn three, you'll have four mana. That's mm. amazing. For example, then you could spend four mana on a ramp spell. You should be getting two extra mana from that. Yeah. Half as much as you spend. The typical rate, right? This is like a card like Explosive Vegetation. that gets two lands out of yeah. your, your deck or even Sky Shroud Claim, this kind of thing. And, and similarly, the mana rocks that tend to cost four, ideally, will give you about two mana back. Yeah. Thran Dynamo is really good. You spend four and you get three mana out of it. Yeah. And it can tap good. when it comes in too. That's Absolutely. a really good card. We are finding as the format gets faster and faster that that two slot tends to be the, the sweet spot with, yeah. with ramping. Um, most of the time there's so many four mana commanders specifically and so being able to spend two mana and on that turn two to get ramp you ahead by one means that on turn three you can cast that four mana commander. So um, yes, the, the two mana tends to be the sweet spot, but yeah, you can play the four mana ones that get two. We generally don't recommend the three mana rocks that get you one mana out of them, like the mana list, yeah. unless there's some like other upside out of it. So for instance, I play a couple of copies of the card Patriarch's Seal. This is the one that taps for a mana of any color, but you can also pay one and tap it to untap target legendary creature. So I've got a couple of decks where my command 
Amanda has a tap ability that I really want to use. Then so, that's really worthwhile running in those decks. Yeah, like my Kaza Wizard Tribal deck mm. taps Kaza to reduce the cost of a spell. If I tap Kaza, use my Patriarch Seal, untap Kaza, tap Kaza again, the next spell I cast is going to be way cheaper than it otherwise would have. Yeah, that's pretty sick. All right, so the ramp total number, what are we looking at? Well... This one's iffy, I think, because we've specifically talked about ramp in the context of Mana Curve, the mm, episode Mana Curvy, where we actually looked at the possibility of building a deck with no ramp at all. Yes. Well, one of our uh, gods that we play, pray to here at Get Commanded <laughs> is Sam Black. Yes. Put out a very interesting tweet about how he builds commander decks, mm. and he generally says Mana Rocks are a trap. Yes. Um, and now this is a different opinion, um, mm. and we have like investigated it and we've played around with it, but... Sam Black generally builds very, very low to the ground decks. So mm. very, very low mana curves, which you can check out episode 25 where we talk about it more in detail, but no ramp. Just mm. runs more consistent lands that hit every single drop yeah. and play to curve. It's a it's a really different deck building style. I would say for people who are new especially, don't do it until you're really familiar with how your deck should like progress over turns. It's and something... also familiar with like cards that are impactful at lower mana value. Yeah, it's yeah. very easy to do this, I think, and play like because he plays more lands and and no minor rocks, and he plays his in, impactful low low minor value spells. It'd be very easy to try and do this, and then put a bunch of cards in that actually don't do very much, yeah, and end up just sort of spinning the wheels and not going anywhere. So look, you can do it. So I'm saying with the number for ramp. I'm sort of saying it depends. So like, I don't know, anywhere from zero to about 15. But all that said, I think most, both of us tend to average about the 10 mark. Yeah, 100%. I think if you've got a reasonably average mana curve in your commander deck, so Mm. like, you know, it's like your average is 3.2, whatever, 3.5. Yeah. I think eight to 10 is totally serviceable. Mm. But if your mana curve is getting higher, you'll need more ramp. If your mana curve is lower, you can go less ramp. Yeah. That's basically the gist of it. But definitely. 10's a good number. We'll 10's, stick to that. 10's definitely a good number. There's always exceptions, obviously, to every rule. If you're playing a lands deck, you know, like a landfall deck, you want more ways to Correct, get lands on yeah. your deck. So that's, that's going to vary. But yeah, I think 10 to 15 is probably a good sweet spot. All right, next category. I'm going to say we need to talk about removal because that is part of our essential toolkit because you are going to want to respond and remove something on your opponent's board in every game of commander you play absolutely when you're building a deck including a card that says destroy target creature might not seem fun because you can't imagine it comboing with another card or you can't imagine it doing something really cool but you're going to play a commander game where you really want to see a card that says destroy target creature. Yeah, <laughs> this is the kind of thing you're not going to realize you need until you're playing. And then yeah. suddenly you get to that turn and someone's commander is flying. It's got 25 power. It's going to kill you on their next turn and yep. you've got no removal in hand. And you go, well, as much as I'd love to play all these cards in my hand, I'm still going to lose. <laughs> so I really need that removal spell right now. It's so, so important. Yeah. Now, we actually did a really like good single episode on removal called i think it was just called favorite removal or I think it was the, the best removal, the best removal or something episode 32 like that. of the podcast yeah, yeah go check that out basically short answer to this one how do you think about it is there are particular colors that are very good at removal yes white and black super strong green pretty good blue pretty good red 
red damage based. Mm. Okay. So like you have to think about what colors in your in your commander's color identity are going to help you remove things the best. Yeah, I think it's also really important to consider the efficiency of the cards that you're casting. So mm. the lower um, mana intensity requirement the better the sort of two mana value slot tends to be ideal for for removal yep. these days especially sorry targeted removal to be specific but then the inverse of that is you can play less efficient spells if they have high synergy with your deck so i think we talked about um how i've got my tigam spell slinger deck that gets to basically when you cast an instant or sorcery it rebounds so you cast it for free in your upkeep again and a card like crush contraband which is a four mana removal spell but gets rid of two different things when you can get that to happen twice that's four mana remove four targets that's really really good it's pretty strong in that deck because of synergy yeah and look there's there's a bunch of different things that we can talk about with removal but Definitely. i'm gonna say go and listen to episode 32 if you want to learn more about removal but there's also two different types of removal that yes. are very specific and you alluded to it a second ago mm. there's target Targeted removal and mass removal. So mass removal is when it says destroy all creatures or blow up all enchantments or exile all planeswalkers, whatever it might be. If it's doing something to all, that's a mass removal spell. So yeah. what do we recommend for single target and what do we recommend for mass removal? Well, I think most of the time you want to be getting rid of a single thing at a time. There's sort of one identifiable threat, which is yeah. why we recommend that number be quite a bit higher. So I would say targeted removal we said about 8 to 10. Yep. I think this was also one of those ones where we said these days we're opting for the higher end of that range. Yeah, for sure. Um, just because the the, the, for, the format is getting faster, there are more threats that need to be answered and you're going to need to answer them in order to play your deck. So yeah, I think 8 to 10 targeted. I think for board wipes, we said anywhere between 1 and 5 is good. Yeah. And, and in this case, I think we were actually leaning towards the bottom end of that curve because most of the time, if we're going to remove a single target, we don't then need to remove everything. Yeah, and it definitely if you're running a very creature based deck you don't want to be wiping the board of creatures every turn no because you want your creatures to stick around yeah. so it depends again if you're running not a lot of creatures maybe you can run more destroy all creature type effects yeah i mean there's there's planeswalker decks out there that play almost no creatures at all and, yep. and all of those decks typically play five if not more of those Wrath of God style effects that say destroy all creatures because they leave all your planeswalkers alone and planeswalkers can't die if there's not creatures to attack them. 100%. But generally, one to five, and then you can learn to break those and go higher if you're running a particular planeswalker yep, deck. Yeah, definitely. Like but lean towards the bottom of that curve, I would say. Just also in the interest of the game going for a reasonable mm. amount of time. Do you want to play Commander for nine hours? Yeah, no, probably, probably not. not. Probably <laughs> not. Uh, the next, like, crucial category and it's one we've talked about so many times and for so long it's a get commanded favorite lands oh yeah this is a lesson i learned really early on in my commander deck building experiences i built a scarab god deck which is still a favorite of mine i actually played it against you just earlier just today. today yeah um but it was a favorite and i wanted to tinker with it and i changed so many things and i fell into a very common trap when you're building a new commander deck or tinkering with it which is where you look at a new card and you're like oh this card's awesome i want to put it in my deck all right which card do i take out to put it in um all these cards are really good <laughs> i'll just take out a basic land it'll be uh, fine do not 
do this. <laughs> I ended up with like 25 lands, which spoiler alert for the number of this category, not enough. No, um, comfortably less than the amount we recommend. And I suffered. I missed mm. land drops. And it is so important, especially when you're running like less ramp spells yeah. to hit every single land drop. If you get behind in mana and you're spending less mana than everyone else at the table, you are doing less powerful magic, mm. basically. Even Josh Lee Kwai from the Command Zone says... The person that spends the most amount of mana in the game generally wins. Yeah, definitely. Hitting every land drop every single turn is going to be so, so important. Um, and also, like, it's getting easier these days to hit every single one of those land drops because we have modal double face cards. Oh so, my god, I love these cards so I know, much. <laughs> we read about them all the time. They're fantastic. And this is sort of what we were alluding to earlier. Well, one of the things we were alluding to when we said things can fit multiple categories. There's a card like Malakia Rebirth mm. or that that is like a protection spell, which we're going to go into a little bit later. And also, on the back, it's a land. So this counts as a land when you're tallying up your lands in your deck. But it also is a spell on the back that you're going to want to cast in a yeah. game. So, like, Malachir Rebirth destroys a creature, but when it doesn't need to destroy a creature, it can be your land drop for turn. It's mm. so good. There's another one that's, like, Tangled Florahedron, which is a... It's a mana dock. It's a ramp spell. Yeah. But it's a land on the back that you can just play if you need to hit your land drop. They're just such auto-includes in your deck. I love this. They so make them better. The number that we recommend is generally 35 to 42 lands. And yes. that's like a good range to make sure you're as you're drawing through your deck throughout the game, naturally, you're going to be hitting every single land drop. Yeah. I think if you're not sure, probably aim for about the middle of this range. A good chunk of my decks, even though they are vary so much in strategy and what they're trying to do and what turn they want to do it on, tend to be about the 37 mark. Yeah. If you just want to like... Straight down the middle. Yeah. <laughs> just a... Just a, a just one number that you're going to aim for, just do 37 and you, it's hard to go wrong. Yeah, when you pull up your Moxfield list, just put 37 lands in right at the start. Yep, and right then there. leave them there, yeah. importantly. Don't take them out. <laughs> I know that spell looks really cool and I know you don't want to touch any of the other really cool spells in your deck, but I promise you that spell needs lands to be able to cast it. Yep, <laughs> you will definitely need them. Um, the next category is one that we talk about, uh, we've talked about a few times now. It's sort of like a dual category here. It's win conditions and enhancers. These are sort of... We put them in the same camp here because they sort of sit in this slot of not the bulk of the cards in your deck. And we'll go into why that is. But basically, yeah, win cons are your ways of bringing the game to an end. Yeah, so for example, if you're in a combat-based strategy that like makes a lot of creatures and goes really wide on the board, Overwhelming Stampede gives all your creatures plus X plus X and Trample where X is the biggest power and... Crater Hoof Behemoth is another example of this. These are like big game-ending spells that if they resolve and you swing out, you're winning the game. Yeah, it's sort of what turns your good or strong board state into a win, right? Yeah. It's, it's the thing that, that gets you over the line against all your other opponents yeah. or however many opponents are left. Um, if you're not playing combat, there are other obviously ways that you might be bring, aiming to bring the game to an end. Um, in my Spell Slinger Kaza deck, which I've already mentioned in this episode, uh, Comet Storm is a card Ooh, that I've yeah. played in that deck before. So this is like a big burn spell that can hit multiple players at the same time and deal a bunch of damage to their face. So once I get to a large enough amount of mana that I can spend into that spell that's going to be enough to just you know deal 20 to you 30 to you 20 to you game over mm, I've won I've definitely lost to that card a couple of times yeah so what do you reckon the the number for win con cards is 
I How think, many win cons do we need in that deck? I think about four is good. Yeah, I reckon. And I think we said as well, when we talked about this in the longer episodes, that we recommend that at least one of these is kind of separate from your usual strategy. So if you've got three ways to just like do, yeah, like an overwhelming stampede style thing mm. of being in combat, pumping all your board, winning through combat damage, like something like that, have at least one other way of winning, even if it's something like like ram through, for instance. This is the, oh, yeah. the two mana instant where... Um, if something has trample, it deals damage to a, a creature an opponent controls. And then if it's got trample, the excess damage is dealt to that, that creature's controller. So if you've got a big Voltron trampling thing, like I've got in my Mowu deck. Yeah, that, that's that makes, a good card. Makes Mowu really, really big and Mowu has trample. Ram through is actually a way for me to get over the line against someone who might be preventing all the combat damage that I would otherwise be dealing that yep. turn. No, that's a really good point. I reckon four is a good number. You don't want to have too many of these no. because it's you need to set up your board to then activate one of these. Yeah, if you if you cast overwhelming stampede and you've only got three creatures, that's probably not going to win you the game. It's actually terrible. But yes. there are some additional cards called enhancers that we mm. can use that help us get to that win condition situation a lot easier. Now, win enhancers differ from win conditions because they don't help you win on their own. They're like the nitrous oxide in your fuel. They are mm. if you put if you have one of these on the battlefield or one of them's active, it is really going to speed you up. The example that we've used a bunch of times when we refer to this is a card like Panharmonicon. Mm. This is a card, it's a formatter artifact that doubles every enter the battlefield effect you have. Yep, if you've got a creature that enters the battlefield and destroys another creature, that's going to happen twice. It's so your, strong. Your, um, you know, Reclamation Sage that enters the battlefield destroys an artifact or enchantment. That happens twice. Even your Muldrift that we talked about earlier that enters the battlefield, draws you two cards, draws you four cards now. Yeah. It's, in so many decks, it's going to be the thing that really greases the, the cogs and gets it all whirring. But on its own... You need to have an enter the battlefield effect before it does anything, right? So yeah. just having Panharmonicon and nothing else to do is actually nothing at all. Like Swarm Intelligence is a sick card that says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. Mm. But if you're not casting instant or sorcery spells, it it's a seven mana enchantment that does nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of cards like this, you know, Anointed Procession and yep. similar effects tend to double your tokens. Um, Tormod the Desecrator might be one where if you're milling yourself and casting stuff from your graveyard, you can make a bunch of zombies, but none of these do anything on their own, which is why when we recommend the number for the enhancers in your deck, we tend to recommend about five. Yeah. You really, really don't want too many of these, or you're just going to find yourself with a bunch of things that will, could be really exciting, yeah. but aren't really exciting right now. This is probably the one number which I would say don't go over. No, like, not because like in even in situations where we talk about breaking the template, enhancers really don't do anything on their own. So yeah. if you have a deck full of them, you're just going to have a deck full of a board state that says you could be doing something cool here. Yeah, you, <laughs> you really don't want to have a board state that says, "Oh, one day if I if I draw like a card that actually does something which I don't have in my deck, I'll." I'll get you. Boy, <laughs> oh, order. Shake oh, fist I motion. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Don't play too many. Don't play too many <laughs> is the main message. But moving on to the next section, which is actually something is a little bit specific to our template that differs from other templates we out there. We don't hear this one too often out mm. there. It's protection spells. Yeah. So these are kind of the ways of protecting your board or protecting your way of winning. We really feel like people need to call more attention to this, right? We, we, I feel like we've gotten on the soapbox a few times about this. We definitely have yelled about this a couple of times and <laughs> I actually have like seen it happen in games and go, 
if you just had a way of protecting yourself, you yeah. would have won on your turn. Just that one counter spell yep. might have done it. Even Sajiri Shelter, this is another one that's a land on the back, protects, you know, gives a creature protection from the color of your choice. Something like that can be the thing that gets you over the line. So, like, anything that you can see that protects your board, yourself, or your win condition is going to fit in this category. Mm. So, a counter spell is a great example of this. It just stops it before it's happening. Yep. Um, cards like uh, like Lightning Greaves, Swiftfoot Boots, mm. these the give a creature that's equipped with it Hexproof or Shroud. These are mm. really great ways of keeping your commander safe. Yeah, if, yeah. You're, if you're playing one of those strategies where your commander is like absolutely essential, you know, if you're trying to put a, a million auras on your commander or a million equipment and you really need to keep your commander around, definitely pack a couple of equipment spells, mm. especially Super Boots, Lightning Greaves. These are the most efficient versions for it. Um, they're going to keep your, your commander safe from those removal spells. For sure. And we recommend around five to ten of these. It yeah. depends on like how crucial your or how delicate your win condition is. Mm. If you've got a really delicate win condition where you need to keep like a Voltron commander, for example, on yeah. the battlefield all the time to kill each opponent, you want to protect it. You mm. want to pack a bunch of protection. Or if you're playing a combo deck that walks like a tightrope of a combo, yeah. you're going to want to make sure that combo happens. Yeah, well, if you're playing a combo deck, your combo, your protection for that might be just having more combo pieces in your deck. Yeah, you might even redundancy. Like, redundancy, basically, might be your protection of making sure that no matter what, there's a way to navigate your way to a victory. And um, it's really important to have those, which is why we recommend them so highly. All right, well, I think... That's like what we've talked about in all the other episodes, but there's one more thing that I think we should put in our template officially. Mm, I think I know what you're referring to here. This is something we've we've mentioned before recently. I mean, I think we might have even given the number for this recently, but we yes. haven't specifically called that in our deck building guide. So it's a new one for those of us if you've heard the original episodes. It's cards that quote do the thing. Yeah, and we're we're trying to be really generic here with do the thing because. <laughs> Every deck strategy is different. Like, mm. you might have a graveyard deck. I might have an instant and sorcery deck. You might have a creature-based deck. I might have an enchantment artifact deck, blah, blah, mm. blah. Every deck is going to have a different strategy. Yeah. That's why we love Commander. Mm. But your deck has a strategy. So you need cards that follow that strategy. That yeah. do the thing. If you're in a tribal deck, you know, if you're playing a, a wizard tribal deck or a goblin tribal deck... It, most of your payoffs and enhancers and win cons are going to be based around having a bunch of creatures of that type. Yeah. So if you don't have a bunch of creatures of that type in your deck, cards that do the thing, uh, you're not going to be able to get to your win condition. Exactly. Like in a flicker, enter the battlefield kind of deck, you want cards that enter the battlefield and do stuff. Yeah. Like it's like we were saying with the Panharmonicon. Like yeah. in the same way that we need the Panharmonicon before anything else happens, we need the bulk of our deck to be the stuff the Panharmonicon makes better. Yes. Which is going to be, yeah, in this case, creatures or enchantments or artifacts that enter the battlefield and make something happen. And do the thing. So, yeah. for example, if we're in a landfall-based deck, mm. we need ways of getting lands onto the battlefield more quickly than we, uh, like, just playing them once per turn. Yeah. So, cards like Kadama's Reach are both a ramp card and a card that does the thing for our deck. Mm. But I want to have a bit of a conversation just to determine, or, like, differentiate, I think is the right word to use here. Sure. The difference between a payoff and a, like, I don't know, a thing, like the, the thing that the your deck thing is that doing. We're trying to do. For, so, for example, in a landfall deck, 
the thing is playing lands, getting lands onto the battlefield. Yes, right? that's that's our strategy. That's our goal. Correct. So, like things like Kadama's Reach will do that. Yeah. However, a payoff is rewarding us for doing the thing. So, mm. for example, Rampaging Balos is a creature that says anytime a land ETBs, make a four-four beast. Yes. Really strong. And that's rewarding us for having lots of lands enter the battlefield. Mm. If I get three lands entering the battlefield, just because Rampaging Baelus is on the battlefield, I'm getting three four fours. Yes. And so the crucial thing here is that that Rampaging Baelus, it's not quite a wing con. Oh, it's kind of a wing con probably or an enhancer, but it's sort of, it, it's part of the, the doing of the thing, mm. but it's not the bulk of it. The bulk of it is going to be getting the lands out of our deck. So when we yeah. say do the thing, and by the way, the number here, I realize we haven't said it yet. <laughs> uh, we said, we recommend at least 25 at least. ways to do the thing. And so when you're looking at a landfall deck, for instance, most of that 25 should be ways of getting more lands or playing more lands on your turn. Yeah. And then some amount of that should be the landfall payoffs, like you were saying, Rampaging Baelos, that kind of thing. And you can apply this to any strategy that you're going to play and build a deck for. You're going to want mostly the things that do the thing. Yes. Um, and I reckon this is worth saying at least. At least at 25. Least. This is one of those kind of numbers where if you can get 30, 35 things that are doing the thing, mm. you're you're in the you're in the green. This Definitely. Is, this is the gravy. It's the sweet spot. All right. Well, that... We did it. Like, 40 minutes, and we have, like, done our template. That is our template. That is the template. So, all that's really left, and we'll we'll get to that just after a little interlude. Little, little break. Little thrifty interlude, is uh, how we're going to go about picking cards, and also a little bit about how we might be breaking the template when we do it. But before that, we do have to have a little thrifty interlude. So, we have a new thrifty card that, uh, as always, in a Get Commanded episode, I will be bringing the card to life this week in monologue form. James, would you like to read the card that I'll be bringing to life in just a moment? I'd be very happy to read this one because I actually played it today, which is such a strong card. It's a land this Mm. week, and it's Port of Carfell. So it's a land that enters the battlefield tapped. It taps to add a blue mana, but it has an activated ability for three blue, black, black, tapping, sacrificing it, you mill four cards and then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Ah, there she is, weary travelers. We're coming into port. Port side! No, port side! That's left, you witless whelps! What a fine port she is, if a little eerie and strange. The sun sets on her back and makes her look like a sleeping angel or a sack of mouldy bread. I'll level with you all. I don't know head nor tail of this place, as my sailors won't go near it. You're all bound to have a wonderful time there, though, I'm sure. Or die, one of the two. Now I'm sure you're all wondering how you'll be reaching the shore if this here captain isn't making port. A great question, and the answer's made of wood and rhymes with shank. And I'm not talking about my replacement flank here. Get budgeted! budgeted. 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 <laughs> so, th- is this like Thrifty Thursday's the hooded, the cowled merchant car salesman? Did he have like a side career as a pirate? Or what? <laughs> he was in disguise yeah. on the run from the authorities, probably oh, tax evasion or something at the source. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can catch uh, these as they are written in if text form. If you want form. to. If you um. want to. <laughs> Over on our Discord server, it's linked in the show notes. There's a channel there called Thrifty Thursdays, where you can see a new post from me every Thursday with a card like that, and similarly crazy dialogue or monologue. Uh, and you can also see me bringing these, some of these to life in video form over on TikTok at 
at Get Commanded, our new TikTok channel. So check us out there if you'd like to see them in video form. Yeah, we're really excited to use this TikTok um, platform for, for some interesting stuff. We've made some investments recently, mm. got some new equipment and some gear. We won't spoil it too much, but uh. we, one of the things may be a green screen. Oh, so... I can't wait to go to Port Carfell, actually. <laughs> and see it yeah. in the background, in That'd the distance. Hilarious. Yeah, that's the dream. Well, let's get back to it. So we have our deck building guide here. That's it. That's the template. Yeah, we've given you the numbers. That's that's all the numbers that we, yeah. we have for you in that regard. So um, thanks for Commander Players. We'll see you in the... No, <laughs> we've got more to talk about. <laughs> a little bit more to talk about. Um, one of them is something we have also talked about uh, a bit more recently than deck building, which was Mana Curve. We've actually mm. referred to this before when we talked about how Sam Black builds his decks a little bit differently than the rest of us. Uh, Mana Curvy is the name of the episode, episode 25. We basically took a deep dive at the way in which you could build your Mana Curve and, and how you should go about doing that. And a very specific look at Sam Black, where he plays a lot of lands, uh, no Mana Rocks, and a lot of high impact, low Mana Value spells. That was one way of doing it. We identified that the rest of the decks that me and James play actually sort of sit at a rough range of anywhere between three and four in average mana value. Yeah, this is like your average mana curve across most commander decks. Like if you go onto EDH Rec, it'll show an average distribution of mana curves mm. across a bunch of different decks. And generally, in between three and four, that's yeah, your average That's the average spot. mana value. And when you, when you look at the curve, the reason we call it a mana curve is because it should kind of go, you know, three should be the highest number on that curve and followed by two and four and then it should sort of peter out it should look end. like a little mountain yeah if you, if you were to stack all the cards up next to each other and put all the one drops in one pile two drops three drops four drops that three drop pile four drop pile they'll be the highest yes so peter out especially towards the top where we get tempted to put those really exciting big spells but yes. we're not going to get to cast them very often so only a few of those yeah don't put like eight eight drops they're not going to no, do much they won't happen um now look there's generally like a lot of things we can talk about in this episode and we did in episode 25 like walt said so go and check out that episode for more in-depth detail on mana curve but generally when you're building your deck you should keep this in mind and there's a couple of little things that you want to ask yourself while you're building definitely to help you kind of give yourself an idea of what your mana curve should look like where it's going to be how how it will work so the first thing i think you should ask yourself is what would your turn one look like what does your turn three look like and then what does your turn five what does your turn seven look like mm, what's, what your, are, what's your goal with those yeah, yeah what are the spells that you want to be casting on those turns they should line up with how much mana they cost to cast yeah i'll give a really uh, good example actually which is katilda and leah is a deck i'm currently brewing um this is a deck where whenever you cast a human spell an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. So Super basically cool. you can cast the, the spell from your graveyard and then it gets exiled as it resolves. But the thing I realized about when I was building my moniker for this one is the thing I need more than anything else in my early turns is spells, especially on turns one and two, instant and sorcery spells. Yeah. Because then when I cast my Catilda and Leer on turn three or four or whatever it's going to be, and then on that subsequent turn when I'm casting humans, I've got uh, some spells that I can then flash back. Because obviously my deck's not going to do anything. I can get Catilda and Leer out. I can cast a bunch of humans. If there's not instants and sorceries in my graveyard, I'm kind of wasting my opportunity. Yeah. There. So this is like, think, what's step one of your deck strategy? What's step two? What's step three? You mm. should see that in your mana curve as you go through definitely i think the next thing that you should think about is can your deck cheat 
on mana costs at all. Yeah. So, for example, my Scarab God deck mm. has an activated ability where I can exile a card from my graveyard or even my opponent's graveyard, which is pretty cool. Mm. But it can then exile it and make a token copy of the creature I exile. And it's always four mana. So it's always this. four mana. So I could exile a creature from my graveyard that costs eight mana but exile it for four and still get a token copy of it on the battlefield. So that's mm. cheating the mana cost. So generally speaking, these decks where you are going to be able to cheat the mana cost are decks where your average mana value could be a bit higher mm. because you're going to be not paying the full cost of those spells yeah. most of the time when you're getting them out. 100%. I think the next thing that you should think about, the last thing you want to think about is what's the mana value of your commander and what turn do you want them to come out? Now, this mm. one's a little bit of a high level, big brain kind of thing, but yep. this also affects what ramp you use at certain curve points. So like Definitely. if your commander is a four drop, mm. ramping on turn two is amazing because like we said on turn three if you hit your land drop for turn you then have four mana and you can get your commander out a turn earlier than what it would be on curve yes but also crucially you want to be asking yourself if you have that four mana commander is that the kind of commander that wants to come out straight away mm. or is that the finishing spell that then makes your whole deck come together so for instance i have a, a, a currently it's about to be disassembled but i have a tigam deck which i mentioned before mm. this is a whenever tigam attacks my instanced sorceries gain rebound until end of turn um and so they i get basically copies of them in my upstream. so you want him as soon as possible yeah turn three is perfect for tigam because also once the board gets very developed it's going to be quite hard to attack with him in order to get the ability off so it's actually going to be really important to get him out as quickly as possible. And ramping on turn two means turn three, I've got Tigan. Turn four, I'm going to be able to cast a bunch of spells, get some flashback, that kind of thing. There you go. For another example, my partner has Asterion, which is a six mana commander, mm. but it is so good. It is like a really great life gain, life drain effect. So my partner wants to get that out as quickly as they can. Yeah. So they have ramp spells that sit in the four mana category. Mm. So when they get to turn four, they can cast like Thran Dynamo. And then on turn five, cast their six mana commander a turn early yeah with three dynamo you might even have a little bit of extra mana left yeah, over might be able to cast one extra spell too yeah definitely all right well i think now we need to actually start choosing cards for our deck it's like yeah it's so easy to say you need 25 of the cards that do the thing you need 10 card draw spells you need 10 ram spells but how do you actually go about choosing what cards go in your deck? Because we play Commander. Commander has the largest card pool available mm. to play. It's huge. You've got a lot of cards to choose from, so you've got to have to ask yourself some questions about how you're going to pick them. Um, the top one, I think, has to be Synergy. Uh, oh, yeah. So does the card synergize with your deck? And I think a really important question to ask at the very top of this question is how many cards within your deck does it synergize with? Yeah, so for example, if it helps plus one counters or creatures with plus one counters get something, how many cards in your deck are giving creatures plus one counters or how mm. many creatures will have plus one counters? And if it's like 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, you're like, amazing. If it's only one or two, you're like, ah. Oh, Maybe, yeah, this would synergize if this card has it on the battlefield as well and mm. this, that, the other. If you have to ask yourself or if you have to say and explain a card's worth in the deck by saying if this and this 
and this card as well, and I also have green card sleeves and my playmat is blue, <laughs> then the card starts working, that is a reason not to include that card. Yeah, there's too many things you're going to need before it's going to work. The exception to this rule, of course, is if something synergizes with your commander specifically. Yeah. That's the whole point of commander, right? We have access to one card for the entire game. So no matter what, we're going to have access to that card. So if something synergizes, but only with your commander, sometimes that can be fine because mm. your commander is something you're always going to have. So... In that Tygam deck, for instance, I have an aura that gives him unblockable, and whenever he attacks, I scry one. That's perfect because it synergizes with having to attack with him every turn. There's nothing else in my deck I want to give unblockable to, really, but because I really need it for Tygam, it's totally fine to include that card. Yeah, it keeps Tygam protected, yes. which is one of our protection spells. Definitely. All right, well, I think a natural, like, really key thing to think about with Commander is the unique thing about our format that restricts us into only being able to play cards that are in our Commander's color identity. So yes. this is cards that a blue because your commander has blue represented in its colors on its card, whether mm. it's in its casting cost or an activated ability, what have you. So yeah. when you look at color identity, it's a really good idea to think about what colors are good or not good at doing generally in Magic the Gathering. Mm. We talked about removal and stuff like that, but if you're in a life gain deck and you're playing a commander that's green, blue, and white, I'm going to spoil alert, spoiler alert for you. Blue, terrible at gaining life. Yeah. I can't think off the top of my head that a card that gains you life in blue. I struggle to think I of one I genuinely myself. can't. But because we've got white in our commander's color identity, yeah. we now have a ton of options yes. in our commander's color identity. So say, for instance, we were in that deck and we're looking for a board wipe. Fumigate is a board wipe that gains us life. Mm. That is awesome. Yeah. And that's in the colors that the color is strong at doing. It's gaining life. I mean, white's really good at board wiping as well. So that's a perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and likewise, you know, if you're looking at ways to, to draw cards and you're playing Prosper, Tomebound, this mm. is a black-red deck, and there's a lot of actually quite good card draw in black, but Prosper cares about casting spells from Exile. So actually, in this case, you're going to want to lean into that red card draw we were outlining earlier, which exiles cards and you can play them, because yeah. those effects actually are actually going to synergize more with your commander. So it's sort of... You've got to think about what, what colors your, your commander is and what colors are good at each thing your commander wants to do. And then sometimes you're going to have to ignore the, the the common wisdom of going like, oh, but blue's better at drawing cards. You might go, well, actually, I really want my green card draw here because my card draw needs to be based around creatures and yeah. how big they are. And green is much better at doing that. So we've talked about this a lot, but there's like some typical traps that you can fall into here. Like everyone says feed the swarm is like a staple if you're in black. Mm. But if you're in white and green... For example, yeah, if you're you, in white, green, and black. Yeah, if you're in those colors, the Abzan colors, mm. you have so many ways of destroying a target enchantment. Feed the Swarm is objectively the worst way of yeah. doing it. You could be playing like Nature's Claim, which is way more efficient. Way instant speed. Instant speed. Not going to lose you life. Whereas Feed the Swarm is, yes, an essential in black if you are only in black because it is, is the only way in black 
to remove a target enchantment. Mm. But if your commander has white in its color identity or green, those colors are incredible at removing enchantments. Yes. So you've really got to be aware of that color pie. And this is something we definitely went into a lot in in the removal episode in terms of picking mm. those spells. But yeah, in general, just be aware of, of what kinds of effects your colors are good at and then pick cards accordingly to that. Yeah, something else that I think that you can like immediately go, yes, this is a good card too, is if the card fulfills multiple roles in a deck. So we talked about this at the start of the episode when we're going through all the numbers. But if you add up all those numbers that we just said before, you're going to have more than 100. Absolutely. So you are going to need cards that do multiple things. Mm. Um, Like one of my favorite ones, um, for example, is like in my proliferate um, plus one counters infect deck. I want cards that proliferate, but I also needed cards that like draw me cards. So Tezzeret's Gambit. Oh, proliferate yeah. and cantrips and draws me a card as well mm. so like well, draws two cards I think yes draws two cards yeah. yeah so that is card draw yeah love that yeah no that card's amazing because it's filling multiple categories in that deck absolutely um, even you know if your removal spells can also be doubling as card draw like yeah. that's that's something that you're going to be wanting to be doing um, if, if you know you're playing a sacrifice sort of based deck and you're playing greater good like greater good is a card that's going to draw you cards because you sacrifice them and draw cards equal to their power but also you know if, you, if you're wanting to sacrifice creatures anyway when it comes down to the wire and you've got to sacrifice a bunch of creatures to, to your aristocrat sort of deck uh, um, cards and that kind of thing it also fills that category for you yeah if it fills multiple categories one is good Two is incredible. If it does three things, you are living the dream. That card is definitely going in your deck. Absolutely. I think the other thing to consider, and this is something we talked about before, when we were talking about enhancers and win cons, is how much does the card do on its own so really try to avoid that trap of including cards that are like you were saying before good if this and this and this really try and prioritize the cards that just do something on their own or you know just do something with your commander like if your commander's out and you have this card and they work together that's great but if you need this card and this card before they even start to do anything on their own probably you should cut those cards. Yeah, a really easy question to ask, a really easy way to answer that is, if I have nothing but lands, does this card do something? Yes, Yeah. definitely. Does it contribute to me winning the game? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, I mean, that's a pretty good like way of like analyzing a card. Um, we've now given all the numbers, but we've referred to ways to break this template mm. on multiple occasions. And I think it's worth us kind of Spending a little bit of time on some examples from our list. Because our lists are available, by the way, in the show notes, yes, as we've said. Both of our Moxfield profiles. Yeah. I guarantee you can go into a couple of our decks. And Walt and I might not be following our own template. No. Exactly. It's true. This is definitely the, the sort of thing where once we've learned the rules really well, we've understood that there's times where actually not only can you break the rules, you probably should break the rules a yes. bit. Um, so I know, for instance, your Yuriko deck. Yeah, this is a funny one. Yeah. I hark on about card draw being one of the most important parts of our essential. You play so much card draw. I love to draw cards. But in my Yuriko deck, I had a look before we recorded this episode. Mm. I'm running a total of five spells that I've tagged in Moxfield that draw me cards. That's not ten, James, you hypocrite. Ah, dear Walter. Dear Walter, my commander puts so many cards in my hand. <laughs> it's true. Yuriko says whenever you deal combat damage with a ninja to an opponent, you exile the top or you reveal the top card of your library, plus each opponent loses life equal to its mana value. So yep. that's pretty cool. This is the win con. Yeah. 
but you also then put it into your hand. Mm. So you, if you hit someone with three ninjas, which by the way, ninjas are generally pretty sneaky and evasive creatures. Yes. You're going to draw three cards, yeah. essentially. That is incredible. So I don't need to run 10 pieces of card draw no. for me to fulfill my card draw requirement because my commander is always on the battlefield. She comes out like really cheap. Um, commander Ninjutsu is a very weird mechanic. If you've got time, <laughs> go check it out. But it is it is really efficient at putting cards into my hand. So over time, when I've been playing this deck, I took out card draw spell after card draw spell because I've got enough. Yeah. I don't need them. I think, generally speaking, you can really consider your commander to be like, you know, when you're looking up, adding up the template, like we were looking at before, like card draw and ramp and removal and stuff, if your commander does one of these things, count that as like five cards in that slot mm. because you always have access to it. It's your main strategy. Like, it's going to happen no matter what. So, similarly, like my Sir Gwyn deck... Um, this is the knight tribal deck where whenever a knight, you can equip to knights, equip equipment to knights for free once yep. your commander is out. But also when an equipped creature you control attacks, for each of those creatures you draw a card and you lose a life. Oh, so that's some really good card draw. Yeah. So with Seguin, I think I have like seven ways to draw cards or something. Because most of the time I want to empty my hand, get a bunch of equipment on a bunch of different creatures. And then on that turn, when Seguin's come out, I can attack and draw like five more cards again. So yep. I'm not really worried about it so much. But like, for example, we talked about mana curve a lot in this episode. You're a Verna deck. Yeah. Breaks our template extremely. I think your average mana curve is like over four, right? It's 4.24. That's more than in between three and four. It also breaks a couple other rules. Averna's got like 20 ramp spells, I want to say, or something like that, which is funny because Averna actually does kind of ramp in the command zone. But look, it's a landfall deck. I want as many ways to pull lands out of the deck as I possibly can. And also, the sort of secret commander of my deck is Emoti, Celebrant of Bounty. Such a strong card. When it's on the battlefield, and you're casting six CMC spells or above, which it cares about, yes. you're winning the game. Yes, and so basically my whole deck is built around finding um, Emoti and then casting six drops. So yeah, my curve has to be really high to accommodate six and more mana value spells. Um, and look, it kind of makes sense, right? I'm getting a yeah. bunch of lands out of my deck. I'm getting access to a bunch more mana. So of course I'm going to have more mana to spend. I can play more of those high impact spells. So there are times where you want to break the template and we do it all the time. And if you go and look at our Moxfield decks and go, hey, James's uh, Gishath deck is like got a really high mana curve as well. Why is that? Jump on our Discord. Ask me that exact mm. question and I will explain it to you. You can actually talk to Walt and I. We're like small content creators. We'll explain why we've broken our own <laughs> template. So yeah, jump in our Discord and ask us why we've broken our own template. It's true. And the other thing you referred to a moment ago was our Moxfield. Oh yeah, we actually haven't spoken about this yet. No, I think we should have a have a little moment to talk about some of the resources we use when we build our decks. We've mentioned Moxfield a lot this episode. It's really the best place to build your your decks yes if you're using tapped out or anything else at least give moxfield a go it's got so many amazing features it, importantly the the tags feature is one that me and james have referred to several times in this episode we use it all the time you can tag cards as the roles they fill in your deck so when you're looking 
at, you know, your greater good, you can tag that as card draw because it's something that can draw you cards in your deck. And you can actually create a deck specific tag that might be something like sack outlet, you yeah. know, or, or sacrifice because it's a way to sacrifice something. And you know what your deck's going to do when you sort into tags? It's going to show them in both camps. So this yeah. is the best way to visually look at your deck and go, oh, actually my numbers are pretty close here. I remember the day before I started using websites like Moxfield to build my decks and I would be on my playmat kind of putting cards into piles. Yeah, physically in piles. I need 10 card draw spells and I would look at a card that I've chosen specifically because it goes in multiple camps and goes... Well, I can't rip the card in half. <laughs> I no. need to put it in two places. You've only got so many physical piles exactly. uh, that a card can go in. Moxfield yeah. is incredible. It does like an analysis on your mana curve. You can play test on the website. You can. We are huge fans of Moxfield. We're still messaging the creators saying how much we love them. So yes. if you're listening, you know, reply to our emails. <laughs> um, but there's like a couple of other websites that are really integral to like building commander decks. And I think Definitely. the one big resource that everyone knows is EDA. Wreck. Yeah. So this is the database. And I'm, when I say the database, it is the database of Commander decks made online. So it, the database itself will scan all Commander decks that are like loaded into deck building websites like Moxfield, like TappedOut, and it will analyze them. It will identify the cards that it uses. It'll identify the average mana curve. It'll d- identify everything about that Commander deck. So when you go on to EDH rec. I'm like, oh, I'm building Finn the Fangbearer. Mm. I want to know what the average Finn the Fangbearer deck looks like. If you go into EDH rec, it'll show you the top cards that p- appear in all the decks. Yep. It'll show you like some really high synergy cards. It'll show you like separating them into like categories. Like here are some really good utility lands for this deck. Mm. Really, really great resource. Really, really great way to make sure you're seeing the cards that other people are using in your decks. If, yeah. if nothing else, sometimes at the beginning of your deck building process, it's good to have a look at what the EDH rec for a deck looks like because it's going to give you an idea of what it might play like. You're going to sort of see the cards that are commonly appearing in these lists. To be honest, sometimes I've gone to make a deck, looked at EDH rec, looked at the cards everyone's playing and gone, oh, it's another one of these decks. And I haven't progressed past there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It's it's a really, really good way of spotting those cards that you might have missed during your other searches for cards and just generally seeing the way that people are playing Commander. But look, the main way that we're going to be looking for cards and then maybe checking EDH rec to see if they're there, is Scryfall, at least for me. This is a bit of a Walt's side hobby. Like, yes. Walt, Walt, <laughs> Walt, one of Walt's key hobbies is playing Commander. <laughs> His other hobby is looking at cards, just uh, like researching cards. Look, sometimes when I'm bored at work, I will pull up Scryfall, especially when a new set's about to come out. I'll just browse the cards You clearly do not have enough to do at work. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes at work I do that. Look, Scryfall is really, really good. Um, There's the advanced search, which is a really good way to search. I personally use the syntax you can use. There's loads of ones you can learn. There's actually a little syntax guide in the top Mm. right corner of Scryfall that you can use. Recently teaching myself syntax. Oh, good. Yeah, Yeah. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I find in particular it's really, really good when a new set comes out and you want to know what cards you're looking for. But also if you're just building for a deck, like I'm building my Kaza Wizard Tribal deck, right? Mm. I'm gonna want to look for wizards specifically right that's a card i'm going to be searching for sure you can type in the scryfall search you can select you can type t colon or you could type type in the word type colon wizard so that's it will search cards that are wizards yes yep. you can do that you can add legal 
colon EDH or legal colon commander. So that'll make sure to take out any of the cards that are illegal, like uncards yeah. or, you know, cards, cards that are banned. Yeah. Yep. Then I would probably, um, I would maybe stipulate like mana value. Yep. And then I can work out like roughly, you know, if I, I want really cheap wizards, I might go MV less than three. And then it's only going to show me creatures with mana value less than three. And also importantly, about now, <laughs> probably earlier, you should type in your commander's color identity. Oh, so you yeah, can right. type in CI colon, and in my case, blue, red, U, R. And now when I hit search on that thing, it's going to show me every wizard that is legal in commander, legal in my red, blue commander deck, yep. and costs less than three mana. And you can add a bunch more things to that. You can type in is, the word is, colon, ETB, and that will show you every wizard that has an enter the battlefield effect. Which is weirdly a lot. Yeah, wizards, it's like a, it's a thing. They do it well. They do it well. But you even, I mean, this is a great one for players that are building on a budget. You can actually add like a price range. You so you can. can say like, I want no cards to appear that cost me more than $5. Yeah, I, I, that's a common t- a maximum range for me. I'll type in USD, US dollars, less than five. And it will only show me cards that according to the databases is checking will cost me less than $5 on the secondary market. It's really cool. All of these resources have so many hidden features that you should really investigate as a new player to see how you can abuse them. And even as experienced players, there's still things that I'm finding out about Moxfield that just make my analysis of my deck so much better. But for a new player, like for example, the salt meter on um, EDH rec shows how salty a card is. So that's mm. if people like it or don't like it. So if a card's got a really high salt score, you might not want to play it because you don't want to upset your play group. So these resources are incredible. You should definitely go check out all of these resources. Absolutely. Completely agree. Well, that's just about all of it. So remember, the, the numbers we recommend for building your deck are we want 10 bits of card draw. We want anywhere between 0 and 15 bits of ramp, ideally about 10. For removal, we're looking at 8 to 10 bits of targeted removal, 1 to 5 board wipes or mass removal. Lands, we want 35 to 42. We want about 4 win cons, about 5 enhancers, about 5 to 10 protection spells, and about 25 cards that, quote, do the thing. Minimum. Minimum that many cards. So, Space Commanders. Command received. Hey! One hour, ten minutes, pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm feeling good about that one. Yeah, me too. So, to listeners out there, do you feel commanded? What do you think of our template? Are there any numbers that we outlined here that differ from the numbers that you use when you build your decks? Mm, and if you're a new commander player and you're using our template to build a deck, please jump on our Discord um, and share your deck list with us. Yeah. Share your Moxfield list. And you can get in contact with a pleth- with us in a bunch of different ways. You can join our Discord, which is linked in the show notes. You can even see Walt and I play uh, Magic gathering and um on that discord quite yeah, a lot you can play some spell table with us potentially. Yeah, that's yeah. really exciting and you can send us a tweet on twitter you can send us an email all this kind of stuff so we really have an incredible community going on on there that are very friendly very welcoming mm. so if you have a deck that you want people to look at even if it's walt and i even if it's other members of our play group that's the best place to do it absolutely it is and look we're gonna say specifically for this episode if you're one of our more established listeners Do us a favor and share this template with friends of yours who are just getting into Commander, who are just starting to build their own Commander decks. It would really, um, I think, help them a lot with building their own decks. And also it'll help us to grow and, and reach more Commander players like you. Yeah, tell your friends. And also... 
in kind of the spirit of this episode, if you want to support what we're doing and spread the message of the Get Commander podcast to have better, more fun games at Commander, you can support our mission by checking out our Patreon page. It's linked in the show notes. Um, it's the best way of supporting us. Um, you can actually, if you're a new player and you want us to like help edit your deck... There is a tier for that. We will mm. we will have a look at your deck and make sure your numbers are lining up and Sup- give our advice. The Supreme General tier. We can give you. We can rebuild a deck of yours yep. if you would like. Yeah. And we would like to personally thank Fletcher Cutting for supporting us in the Space Commander tier. Who we played with today. Very fun games. Mm. You're Fletch, the best, Fletcher. You're the best. We like you a lot. Uh, we would also, of course, like to thank uh, the sponsor of this podcast, Palms Off Gaming. They create some really fantastic deck boxes, sleeves, binders, other gaming accessories. Look, once you finish building your commander deck you're going to want to keep them safe yep. you're going to want to put them in a box you're going to want to put them in sleeves you might even want to bling out some stuff put it in your binder trade it with other people and um, the best way to do that is to head to palmsoffgaming.com.au and check out some of their awesome range right that's it as is tradition we need a planeswalk our way out of magic gathering out of magic into somewhere else where are we planeswalking to this week james we are going to be planeswalking not actually no we're just going to be moving in our actual plane to another side of the globe to england Okay, Which so is Earth, England. Earth, England, not like Earth 2.0, <laughs> m- different multiverse England. Earth, Earth 512 or Our something. actual England in nice. this world. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I've actually talked about this on the podcast before, but I'm actually English. Um, I don't know if we have talked about this before. No. I'm my, aware of it, I've been told. <laughs> yeah, well, my accent is like basically gone. There's a couple of words that some people have pointed out that I've said on the podcast oh, once I, or twice. I mean, I talk with you a lot and I notice a lot of them. There's yeah. Like, there's certain explicitly like British things where if you talk about them, if you talk about anything tea related, if you start talking about tea and you say, pop, you say like pop the kettle on. Pop the kettle on. Pop the kettle on. Yeah. You like get a little bit of that Yorkshire oh, sort of like thing. like that Northern me. English accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing. I, um, I am from England. So the only family that I have in Australia, funnily enough, my sister isn't even actually in the country at the moment. She's, oh. she's in um, Southeast Asia doing right. a bit of a tour at the so moment. Just mum and dad at the just moment. Just my mum and dad. And most of the time my sister, but yeah. like, that's the only family I have here. So the rest of my family, my grandparents, my cousins, my cousin's kids, my, or even my friends um, that are still over there, they're all over there and I don't get to hang out with them and see them all that often. Sure. Um, but you're going to planeswalk over there soon? I am definitely planeswalking over there. I'm looking at the end of the year, so we're going to okay. have to p- record some episodes in advance. <laughs> sure. But we're um, yeah, looking at the end of the year to go back over um, and visit some of my family because I realized I used to go over there a lot. But, you know, there was this wild thing that happened. It didn't make much of the news, but COVID-19. This, oh, yeah. I heard about that somewhere. It was like this, like, I don't know, like cough you got or something yeah, like that I don't know. something like that weird anyway men i couldn't travel <laughs> you <laughs> so don't say i know right it was actually horrific so i've not been back to the uk in like five years so i'm wow. really excited to see my grandma my pa my cousins and their kids Beautiful. i'm really excited so yeah if you've ever heard me say some weird phrases or say something in a different way like i said grass and pasta, yes. which apparently is really weird to Australians. Yeah, it's grass. It's grass. And, and pasta. Pasta. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. Uh, 
ah is the sound I make. But yeah, if you ever hear that, the context is I'm actually English. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are some of the favourite spots that you're looking forward to seeing the most? Aside from the family and everything, like yeah. places that you're looking forward to going back to. Um, everyone says, oh, are you excited to go to London? I hate London. I oh. think London is such a busy, noisy, annoying city. I've obviously been there a lot and I just dislike sure. it. I love the regional countryside of England. Okay. I My mum's parents are from a place called Wissendine, which is in the Midlands of England. And it's that's my phone dinging, which is probably my mum asking me when the flight is. Um, no, it's um, basically it's like the countryside in England, which is like beautiful, picturesque, rolling hills. Um, there's cows in fields. And Picture it's, the Shire, probably. Exa- it's very much the Shire vibes. It's, it's gorgeous. And I, I love the vibes out there because local pubs in England are such a staple to a community. Mm. In in Wissendine, there's a pub called the White Lion. And, and generally, if you're naming a British pub, pick a colour, pick an animal. There you go. You've named a pub. And welcome to the Red Badger. Yes, that, yep, 100%. That's probably a <laughs> pub in England. Um, but yeah, the White Lion um, pub is where I had my first ever beer when I was a, you know, uh, when I was a young teen. When you were four years old. Yeah, yeah. it was, yeah, pot, pot of like really... Um, dark British ale that was warming by the fire because British people drink warm beer. Oh, um, wow. It's, yeah, it's it's an experience. For, for, for being place. an Australian teenager, like I would game here when I was yeah. young, drinking Coronas on a beach was like what my beer is. But I've also got a really well-established palate for like warm ales. I really like it. Anyway, I'm excited to go back to the countryside um, in England, see my family, have a pint at the pub. Yeah. Sounds great. Beautiful. Sounds good. Well, that's about all we have time for, folks. So we'll catch you next week for more Get Commanded. Goodbye, Commander players. Bye.